live from Cape Town. This is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh uh, to all the listeners and um, yeah, I think a lot of listeners are thinking now Ukumas illegal hour and up and Nibuta Yusuf so yes uh, I just wanted to say that I want to thank Buta Yusuf and the VOC management for allowing the legal hour to be fitted in you know on on the Ramadan program because we obviously realize a lot of people need legal uh, assistance during this period. So, and I had a little chat with Buta Yusuf just before that, and uh, I can now appreciate, you know, what, what the sacrifices that Buta Yusuf makes, you know, coming here this time of the night, between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, I don't know what time he finishes. But yeah, the roads are quiet. It's yeah, it's really. Uh, I mean, it's even probably worse now during the COVID period. So, Shukram Da Yusuf, if you're listening, you know, for allowing this opportunity for the legal eagles to give some advice to the community. So yes, we got a packed program tonight, and um, because we started a bit late, um, we obviously gonna have to ask the lawyers to to speak a little less. Uh, I mean, to, yeah a lot less and lawyers in somehow you know don't know when to stop talking you know when you ask them a question so yeah i'm not i'm gonna be quite strict on them tonight so yeah i've got faisal bardin that's coming on uh, i think he's on the line there is i'm like faisal uh, Walaikum salam, Rishan, and to all the VOC listeners. Okay, and then I'm also going to have Asgamia on the line, who is a criminal law expert. I'm going to have Randall Titus on the line, and he is a commercial law specialist. I'm going to have Fadia Arnold on the line, who is a labor law specialist. And I'm going to have Lynn Swartz on, who's a family law specialist. And I'm going to have Nazir Parker on, who is also a commercial law specialist. And he's specifically going to talk about the cigarette issue tonight. So tune in. I mean, for those who, of course, everybody's listening is tuned in already. For other people, you know, if you... If you have any legal issues, yeah, tune in. I know it's a bit late, 11 o'clock, and uh, so is Fruch. So, uh, yeah, but let's kick off. Faisal, um, you are the first lawyer that we're going to interview of the six tonight, and uh, you're, uh, you had some... I, I wanted you to discuss with me uh, with reg- what has changed um, between level five and level four. Uh, just give me a general uh, understanding of it. Yes, yes, and I think I know we step with time, so we're going to try to be as quick as possible. So I think as everybody knows, on the 29th of April 2020 this year, um, the new regulations came into place. It was published in the Government Gazette, and there's new regulations in it is three chapters and about five annexes. Uh, chapter one, we're not going to deal with much. It just deals with definitions and repeals and application of the regulations. Mm-hmm. Chapter two deals with um, the general measures, which I think we're going to highlight some of them because it affects our listeners even on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And then the others uh, deals with obviously uh, the, um, the what they call alert level four. It deals with um, you know movement of persons. Um, essential services, et cetera, et cetera. 
Mm. So, so I think if we can just jump into it, um, you know, straight into the general measures. Um, yeah. And I'm only going to mention the things that uh, are fairly new, uh, because there's a lot of other things that uh, the people are familiar with. So mm. the new ones are the ones that we're going to try to touch on, Exan. Okay, go for it, Faisal. Maze- okay, yeah. so, so the new one under general measures to contain the spread of COVID-19 is the face mask. So mm. it's now become obligatory uh, for people to wear a face mask in public. So the face mask can either be made of cloth or any other, uh, it can be homemade or it can be any other item which they call, uh, maybe some people call it a buff. Um, I'm sorry if you're aware of what yes, the buff thing is. Yes, that thing that you pull over your, show, over your head. Your show, mm. yes. so, so and then that, you just pull it up. Mm. That's right. So that when you go into public, you go shopping, you go any other public space, you need to have a face mask. So if you, even if you get into public transport, you have to have a face mask on. If you don't, they might uh, refuse you getting into the taxi. No, but if they're even uh, refusing people to come into shops if you don't have a mask yeah, on yeah, at no, this even point. Into shops also, so mm. that's all public spaces. That's why I said earlier on, if you go on your shopping, you're going to whatever shopping uh, center and you're going to buy, do your shopping, you must have a face mask I, on. I do want to say, Faisal, to the, for the benefit of the listeners, you know, don't give the, 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 um, the security people at the front a tough time about that mask. Mm. It's not about you, because if you're not wearing it, the the merchant, the shopkeeper, they're the ones that will get into trouble. Yeah, yeah, mm. no, definitely. And obviously, you know, you wear the mask, and that prevents other people from catching the, the virus. Um, mm. You understand? That's the purpose of it. And then, obviously, if you go to work, when you go to work, you uh, and obviously if you permit it under the regulations to work, then you also need to wear that face mask. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, at work, there needs to be a distance of 1.5 meters between the parties if they are in the workplace. So there must be adequate space between parties, um, you know, at the workplace. Um, so. So that's just that's just the, the the summary of it, son. I mean, you know, they, they go into detail of it. Yeah, but I mean, uh, like, like I think, but, but the main thing is, is the social distancing and uh, the mask is like the compulsory part of that whole general measures. Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah. So Faisal, and just maybe important. touch on on the movement of people. What what's uh, what's uh, the, the 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 legal view on that? Yeah. So with regard to the movement of people, now we know. In the past, you know, uh, if you need to go and buy your groceries, you can move, you can go to the shop, if you go to work, you can go, you can, um, you know, uh, move from home to work. If you need to move your kids, uh, that was permitted in the previous regulations. What they've allowed now also, which was a big boy, uh, was the exercise in the morning where you could walk, run or cycle between the hours of 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. So that is a new addition to to uh, the regulations, but it must be within five kilometer radius from your residence. Mm. That, that is most important. You can't do it in groups. You have to, you know, be on your own or you're going to have your... Faisal, now, now just the story with five kilometers from your home. Now, I've seen different types of reports. I mean, the, 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 the regulations is clear. It says five kilometers, but there's no saying where that... Fa- I mean, uh, that you can't, it doesn't say that you can't drive. But then I I saw something on social media that says that you can't drive, that you must walk within your five kilometers. Is there anything like that in the... The regulation is very clear. It says walk, run, or cycle between the hours of 6 
to 9 a.m. within a five-kilometer radius. Okay, so you so can't drive four kilometers to, and then walk the other one kilometer back <laughs> to your car. <laughs> yeah, so you have to walk around the cycle from your residence five kilometers out and back. Okay. That is how I read to into it. Mm. You know? Um, and then the other thing that's also mentioned, uh, Misani, is that the curfew. There's a yeah. curfew between 8 and 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. Mm. So you cannot be on the road during that time unless you have a permit and you can then, you know, con- continue uh, moving along. But uh, other than that, we don't have a permit. Faisal, on, on the issue of permit, I know that people had permits t- during the first lockdown period, right? Then there was a second lockdown period, and now we're on the, th- let's call it the third, third phase of lockdown. Now, that same permit of the first lockdown, is that still valid? No, you have to now adjust your permit uh, according to these regulations uh, which we're talking about now today, son. Mm. So there's two things that you need to do. If you are a company or CC, you must go back online with um, with SUBC and you print out your new business certificate. So that's the first thing you do. And then the second one, you have to do a new permit. But it's, it's, it's the, 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 the format is exactly the same. It's just in terms of the new regulation, so you must quote the applicable regulation to your type of business. And also, which I must tell the listeners, is that I've seen quite a few permits where people do not specify or certify what that individual is going to be doing. So in other words, if you say he's a plumber and he's working for a plumbing company, you must say he's employed by, by this company and he's going to be doing plumbing services. And that's why he's got the permit to, to do that specifically. Mm. Um, so I see that there's a lot of permits out there. Uh, they don't mm. follow it properly, and they just leave it blank. So they just certify that is the person, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but what are they doing? That yeah, but the thing secure. is, I think, uh, look, we're obviously going to deal with it with some of the other lawyers tonight, but there can be grave consequences if you have an invalid permit. Yes. So, so what the people have been doing, I believe, at the roadblocks is that they are warning the people and telling, listen, your old permit expired, you need to get the new permit. Uh, so they, they're a bit relaxed at the moment. So I think they gave the people a bit of a grace, but I think um, uh, late in the week or from next week, they're going to be more stricter. So you must get your documents in order in terms of the new regulations. Mm. So the permit and your business certificate, in, uh, you know, from subsea, those are the two things you have to update, yeah. Okay, Faisal, shukran very much for your participation tonight. So, yes. Jacob, I now can intern. Just another thing yeah. before we go, we just mm. go to evictions. Okay. Um, yeah, that the regulation says that you can proceed with your, your court process as far as evictions are gone. However, you cannot evict the person un- during level four. So, okay. you can instruct your attorney to do the papers and get the application in court, even get the order. Mm. But, you can't implement the order. You can't implement the order, yes. Okay. Like uh, so, okay. Uh, thanks, Shukran, for that, Faisal. So, just, just quickly, just a recap on that issue. So, you can t- you can proceed with all the processes right up till judgment and an eviction order. But you yes. cannot instruct the sheriff to go do the eviction until after yeah. the COVID period. That's it. So, I believe you'll be able to do that in level three, but mm. not in level four, the actual eviction, yes. Okay, excellent. Shukran very much for that, okay. Faisal. Yeah, so uh, okay. we speak to you soon. Okay. Inshallah. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Legal Hour with Issan Higgins.
And we are back with the legal hour. We've got, uh, we've got six lawyers tonight on um, on that we're going to be. Gosh, I can't say. My tongue is so fast. I don't know who comes. But anyway, um, we got six lawyers on tonight. And uh, yeah, we've got Faisal Bardin that's done already. And the next lawyer that we're going to have on is Asga Mia. Assalamu alaikum, Asga. Wa alaikum salam, Ikhsan. Wa alaikum salam to all the listeners out there. Mm. Asga, when I spoke to you earlier tonight, um, you told me the reason why you spelled something wrong is because your fingers were still fasting. To say for you, drink your finger in the samosa and fast it immediately. Okay, and, uh, but I got my my skin pause on my tongue now because I got my tongue into a, a knot a minute ago. Yeah, you, you you got a real tongue twister there. I don't know if you must taken that for one of the twisties that you might have had before cutting. Uh, it could be, could be. <laughs> As guess you're for, for agreeing to join us tonight. Uh, on, on, on there, we're going to limit the time, of course. We're supposed to have 20 minutes, but we'll we'll cut it down a little bit. So you have fun, Prat. No problem. So, Asga, there's been lots of questions. I mean, you are a criminal law attorney, expert, and we've had, you know, so many incidents. We've saw, we've seen tonight on social media how people got arrested, you know, how they, through the exercise process, uh, we've seen people being arrested at roadblocks by the police, assisted by the army. So if you get arrested, what to do? What do you do? What's the first thing you do? Well, yes, and like I say, normally in any circumstance where a person is arrested, it's always best to have a legal representative to assist you and guide you through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in these times now, where there's, I would say, with the greatest of respect, grave uncertainty relating to the, the relating to the regulations that has been put in place in respect of the Disaster Management Act. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, tell me, Asga. Um, so, uh, so the best thing would be for you to have a lawyer's number on your phone, at no, the very least, with, mm. without a doubt. Uh, uh, you know, when we had a chat earlier on, you were talking to me about the cigarettes and, and obviously the other speakers will also mention mm. make mention of this. Uh, what has happened of late, and I've received a, an influx of calls where members of the South African police has gone to all the local cafes and spas and shop. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they then arrest the shop owners, not because they're actually selling cigarettes, but they've got cigarettes in the establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to note the legislation says so you're not allowed to sell cigarettes. Uh, of course, which means many, it mustn't many, be on display or there must be no sales. That, yeah. that, that's correct. Many, remember, many a shop owner mm-hmm. will buy stock in advance and they'll store the stock for yes. use, obviously. Okay. Um, and that is what's been happening because the police are going into establishments, they're finding cigarettes which are stored in storerooms and they're confiscating it, uh, which they are not allowed to do. Yeah, but that's a criminal offense by the members of SAPS. And, and of course, if the SANDF is assisting them, then of course that must be followed up with a, with a criminal charge against them. They are obviously no, contravening I mean, the, char- the, the, the act. Definitely. I'm advising my clients to lay criminal charges. I've mm. gone to the extent of actually reporting matters and taking matters for referral to the IPID for the internal investigation. And, mm. and I must tell you something also. Uh, what is happening is cigarettes are being confiscated. It's being stored at the police station, and we've heard what's been going on in the social media. We've been reading articles, 
I mean, now recently there was many a cops that was arrested for selling cigarettes that has been confiscated. Asuka, mm. I just want to run something past you. I mean, I, I know mm. you don't really do this type of litigation, but the thing is, I think, you know, maybe it's high time that lawyers got together and actually deal with a situation like this by um, actually not suing SEPs, the minister or, 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 the, or the department, but actually suing that individual policeman or member of the SANDF in their personal capacity because they're acting ultra vires, they're acting outside the course and scope of the duty. So in that instance, I think once an example is made once or twice, I think this type of bad behavior by SAPs and, and SANDF will stop against innocent people. What do you think? I, I completely agree with you, son. I must be honest with you. Um, last week, there was an incident in Mitchell's Plain where a meat truck actually was involved in an accident and there was various tow truck drivers on the scene. Mm-hmm. And what happened was actually the police officers that were on the scene together with the law enforcement officers and the metro police, and there was also members of the AGU or the anti-gang unit, as they're known, that mm-hmm. was on the scene. And what they actually did was they actually went to all the tow truck drivers and ripped their license and permits off the windscreen. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to arrest the people. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You know, it's no point in South Africans... Um, blaming the minister for the bad behavior of certain employees. Uh, it's basically the simple solution would be if somebody is uh, is violated by a member of the armed forces um, that's outside the course and scope of the duty, then maybe it's time to, 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 to direct a form of litigation against that individual member and isolate that person and not let them hide behind the minister or the department. I, I totally agree with you in that respect, and I think it is about time that, that some action that na- of that nature must be brought against these individuals. Uh, mm. You must remember, and, and the greater public out there must realize that when our president initially said he's bringing in the armed forces, he specifically made mention of the following words, no scope and donary. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, I mean, and, this, is, and this is what's been happening. Mm. Our people definitely need to be protected. And I think, um, I mean, we've seen too many um, videos, video clips on social media that cannot be ignored. And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the, this collection of, uh, of lawyers uh, can actually, you know, do something about it. But Asga, uh, just the last thing I wanted to check with you, um, the regulations pertaining to movi- moving around in precautions, just to take us quickly through there. Okay, so in terms of the, uh, the regulations that was passed now recently, obviously with the level four, it means that there is some, some activity that can be allowed or allowed to resume. But obviously these are subject to extreme precautions that are required to limit the community transmission mm-hmm. and outbreaks. Mm. And in this regard, you know, especially like if we look at the public transport and all of that, it's now been brought down where 70% of the, the, the capacity can be used, like for example in a taxi. But, but is it actually the, happening in the, on the ground? I mean, it, uh, no, it's not happening. Not. So of course, what's the penalty yes, for that? Not. Is there a you penalty see, the problem for that? with this is, son, you must remember, if we're not going to abide by this, we're going to go back to level five. Yeah, that wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> but, but just quickly, Asga, uh, you know people that are so quick to pay these admission of guilt fines, 
I'm a bit concerned because now if you you pay an admission of guilt fine, let's say you were driving around without a permit, and now you 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 being charged for 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 violating the Disaster Management Act, and then and there's a thousand rand fine, and you quick to pay the thousand rand fine, isn't does that not give them a criminal record? It does. It does. Oh. Son, we spoke about this some time back. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm very hesitant when it comes to paying admission of guilt fines because it reflects as a criminal record. Mm. Uh, especially with the cigarette matters, what happens is cigarettes are confiscated, the shop owner is arrested, and he pays an admission of guilt fine. Mm. Then he comes to you afterwards and he tells you, well, I paid this because I said the case is done. Mm. I said, well, but did you know that you're not actually paying bail? Because they, they do it in a superfluous, you know, understanding that you're actually being paid, paying bail for your release, which isn't the case. Mm. This is actually an admission of guilt. The docket is closed. The file is then sent to, to the Pretoria. chief magistrate. Mm. No, first to the chief magistrate mm-hmm. of the jurisdiction where it happened. That magistrate then has to confirm the admission of guilt. And once it's been confirmed, then it is reflected on your record because then it gets sent to Pretoria for the capturing. Mm. Now, the important part is here is you must remember once that admission of guilt is confirmed by the resident or the local magistrate, the only way you can have it's set aside as to bring an urgent application on review in the High Court. Mm. Okay. So Which could be an expensive... Yeah, the, that, expensive that, that, that sounds like a 30,000 rand. Mm, it sounds like 30,000 rand, if I'm just thinking about it. Uh, uh, that, mm. that, that, that can be an expensive exercise, because at the end of the day, it also depends whether it's going to be opposed or not opposed by the state attorneys at the end of the day. Mm. Okay. So, okay, so that's so I think that's uh, sufficient information at this point in time. Let me just see if, I, if I've captured everything that I wanted to ask you about. Um, yes, for now, because we're we pressed for time. There's a few other questions, but I think we can leave that for another time because, as I said, we still got uh, a few lawyers to, to deal with tonight. So, Asga, shukran very much for coming online this time of the evening. Um, we will be chatting soon, inshallah. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Hour with Isan Higgins. Assalamualaikum, we are back with the uh, Legal Hour, and I've got the third lawyer on the line. Randall, are you with us? Randall Titus? I, I am, thank you, Ixan, I'm here. Welcome, Randall, um, to thank the you. Legal Hour, and uh, thanks for agreeing to come online at this time of the evening. So, Randall, shame us, let's say in Afrikaans, lawyers is what means, no? So, what is the effect of this level four on lawyers? Uh, can lawyers now operate? What What is the current situation with regard to lawyers? The, so the situation hasn't changed much from level five, uh, but essentially uh, 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 matters have become less restrictive for lawyers. So uh, uh, lawyers are allowed back at work. They're allowed to travel to their offices, but they must do so with a permit. Uh, can you believe that? Hmm. Um, what do you mean, can you, you see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Lawyers think they're above other, other people. Other people also need permits. Why must lawyers not operate with a permit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, the, 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 um, uh, uh, the, uh, 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 uh
uh, and setting in place level four, alert level four. And in terms of those regulations, uh, uh, which deals with the movement of persons, so people may leave or persons may leave their, their place of residence to perform what's called an essential or permitted service mm-hmm. as allowed in alert level four. And you can go to work where a permit, uh, and there's a form which you have to complete, which corresponds with form two of Annex A or the. But okay, Reno, we're into the technical racket. Yeah. I believe that the Law Society sent out a letter to every single of the 20,000 lawyers that they are, they've got a permit from the 1st to the 6th. Is that correct? That's correct. Look, I mean, I, I haven't received my permit. Uh, Shame. I think that okay. yeah, many other attorneys uh, will not receive their permit either. Mm-hmm. But in any event, those permits expire tomorrow. Um, on, it it expires on the 6th, yes, yeah. On, on the 6th. On the but something will probably happen after the 6th, because, of course, you can't now say, right, you, you could only work till the 6th, and now on the 7th you can't work anymore. So I'm assuming something will happen. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we know we're all in the dock. Uh, as I say, I've not even received my permit yet. Um, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very dynamic and fluid situation. Mm. And that's uh, very distressing for, for lawyers uh, in the main. Is it strange, uh, okay, Randall, that you never received? Because all the lawyers I know actually received, I also received it on Sunday already. So, uh, <laughs> so, mine, so mine next time, so next, next time you don't get it, phone me. I'm sure I can make a phone call <laughs> to make it happen for you. But Randall's on a serious note. Uh, this um, can can clients now consult with their lawyers because a lot of people are obviously quite anxious to get to their lawyers. That's the problem. So you see, so in terms of the directions, uh, people must still remain at home. We are still under lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst lawyers uh, can now offer limited services, uh, by and large, even law firms must uh, uh, are still, in a sense, under lockdown. So, uh, 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 no, uh, and of course, social distancing must be maintained. So, uh, so in order to comply with the directions, uh, I would suggest that maybe lawyers not they will not have face-to-face consultations. What what will uh, more likely be allowed uh, are uh, um, uh, uh, telephonic consultations or email conversations. Uh, Randall, this, this for me, I don't know. Think, you know, things must make sense. Okay, now, what doesn't make sense to me is somebody can go to the shops. They can go to ShopRite. They can go to Woolies. They can go to Pick and Pay. They can go to the Spaza shop and interact with the shopkeeper with, of course, the requisite amount of social distancing, which is about one meter to two meters. Mm. So why is it that lawyers are so scared to consult with somebody if it's with within the you know within the social distancing space correct the, the, the other particular difficulty is uh, your clients can't travel to your uh, offices uh, because they will require a permit to do so mm. so, uh, uh, so permits only issued uh, uh, okay so that would make it that, that, that sounds more plausible you know that yes. uh, I mean because clients can't get to you but what about lawyers getting to their clients can that uh, happen I, Again, remember the permit is issued to you. It allows you to go to your place of work. So you, you go from your house to your place of work. Mm. Other, other than that, uh, the, the minister encourages people who can work from home to work from home. So mm. uh, the, the, uh, the, and that's to restrict the movement of people, by and large. Okay. But in so far as lawyers are concerned, I think uh, uh, the way around uh, uh, interpersonal contact is, is by email, telephonic conversation. Okay, makes sense. And the like.
And what about the courts? Is the courts open? The courts are opened for certain matters. Um, uh, 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 with the exception, of course, of the small claims court, it remains closed, uh, except for, uh, I suppose, email and telephonic inquiries. So, um, and what about legal aid? I mean, is that happening? Uh, uh, legal aid, again, it's, it's limited, again, to what's defined as permitted services uh, in terms of the regulations. Uh, so, so there's a list of, of services that lawyers can provide, and only those services uh, 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 you get legal aid for if you qualify for it, of course. Mm. Okay, and then, uh, Randall, if um, what about lawyers contracting COVID nineteen at whilst going to court? I mean, is it safe to go to court? Is it safe to go into the cells? Is it safe to go to the prisons? I mean, yeah. I, I, I can tell you this: this stringent safety measures. Uh, um, I mean, I've got experience at, at the High Court in Cape Town, for example. Uh, you, you cannot enter the court building. You get into the foyer, the security guards, and uh, they've got stringent security measures uh, to, to uh, uh, obviously uh, restrict the transmission of the virus. Mm. So uh, people entering the courts, uh, 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 you can't enter the court, number one. You've got, you've got a good reason to be there. Um, you, and they, they have the usual uh, sanitizers and the like. Uh, all security guards will have uh, um, uh, protective clothing. They've got face masks. Uh, um, plastic covers uh, over their faces to ensure that uh, uh, you know, the, the transmission of the virus is, is, is limited. Okay. Um, and of course, sorry, just on the last point, uh, mm-hmm. and every court has what they call a, a, a COVID-19 compliance officer mm-hmm. to ensure that, that the courts comply with the directives issued by the Minister of Justice. Okay, so, so what concerns me at the moment is that these, we've seen on TV lots of applications, so-called urgent applications to court. Now, I mean, surely, um, who decides? I mean, of course, the judge decides at the end of the case whether the matter was urgent or not. But shouldn't there be some form of screening before people decide to bring a so-called urgent application? Because now you're actually bringing so many people to the court. Uh, so, uh, so if you have an urgent matter, you, you have, you're going to liaise with the, the registrar of the court or the court manager, and you'll uh, invariably explain what the matter is about. Uh, uh, that is your first uh, hurdle that you have to overcome. Um, and, unless the matter deals with uh, uh, the usual urgent matters, so dealing with children, bail applications, and the like, mm-hmm. it's unlikely that you'll be heard. Um, uh, so the courts uh, are restricted to only specific matters, urgent matters in particular, and, and, that the, and the, the usual urgent matters uh, uh, that the courts normally deal with. Okay, excellent. Thanks very much, Randall. Um, thanks very much for for, come, for agreeing to come uh, on air this time of the evening. So uh, yeah, so we'll be chatting soon. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah. It's a pleasure, Sam. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Um, we've got uh, on air now. Um, we've got Fadia Arnold. Assalamu alaikum, Fadia. 
Salam, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, we've had now Faisal Bardin, we've had Asghar Mia, and we had Randall Titus, and now Fadia is the fourth lawyer that we got on this evening, and we're talking labor and what happens in the workplace uh, during this COVID-19 and lockdown period. So Fadia, we're going to kick off with some new stuff. I mean, we're now on level four. I mean, we dealt previously with level five. And yeah. in fact, at that point in time, we didn't even know it was level five. We just knew it was lockdown. So, of course, now we know that we were in level five at that point, And now we're back on, we're on level four. Yeah. So there has been many directives issued by the Department of Labor last week after the announcement uh, that we're now in level four. Uh, and, and especially in respect of health and safety monitoring and um, and whether the workplace is now suitable for employees and employees to go back to work. Yes. Now, what are some of those directives uh, in terms okay, of so, Yeah, so um, as you rightfully said, we've just found out that we used to be in level five, um, which, is, which is funny, but uh, we're into level four now. The department has issued formal directives uh, on the 29th of April so that uh, people starting on May 1st as uh, able to go to work again, they have to adhere to certain workplace rules. And some of those for a start off include social distancing. So you need to comply with social distancing in that your employer will need to ensure, for example, if you are working in open plan uh, circumstances or communal areas, that you have, there is a 1.5 meter distance. So is, that, is that the rule in terms of the regulation? Okay. It's the directive, and if you don't comply, you will be faced with criminal prosecution. Now, Fadia, let's just get this uh, meterage sorted out now. I mean, some, pl- some places you hear it's a meter, and in the banks, you stand in the bank, and there's meter strips, and uh, you stand in some queues and, and in supermarkets, and there's meter yeah. strips. Now, you're talking about 1.5. So is this different? We're talking 1.5, and they will have to measure it, and we're talking specifically in the workplace. Okay, so obviously, specific. they're not talking about um, standing in the queues mm-hmm. um, they have to deal that uh, deal with that in terms of the level five lockdowns in where the someone in a queue at Woolworths for example um, they need to monitor the situation there so these directives from the Department of Labor are just for the workplace um, and anybody that's working in the workplace or any member of the public for example a client or a supplier that comes in um, those those that 1.5 meters is set out as a rule and if that rule is broken and a uh, uh, official from the Department of Labor sends someone there to investigate, uh, you can definitely be subject to very high penalties under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, mm-hmm. shutdown of the business and as I said um, it's a crime. I want to get to I want to I want to get to consequences but let's just first deal with the issues uh, that was actually highlighted uh, in terms of of, uh, the level four uh, regulations like uh, now deal with the issue of masks so uh, employers uh, and, and not many people uh, know this because I've heard some uh, heard about some employers telling the employees once you come back to work you've got to have your masks etc the directives are clear in that the employer must provide at no cost to the employee at least two cloth marks in terms of the Department of Health regulations um, so at least two cloth marks at cloth marks at the at the cost of the employer. 
Okay. So, so, so the employee is not. Um, I think a lot of people are under the impression that they must buy their own masks in order to get to work. But no, are you it, saying the employer must provide you with two masks? Must provide you with two, and that will include commuting to and from work. So the reason it's two is so that you can wear one for the day Ooh. and obviously wash one on, on, on that day and then use the, the one for the next day. Of course, you can buy your own if, if you'd like to buy more, mm-hmm. but the employer has to provide you with at least two. Okay, and then of course, in terms of monitoring the situation, well, is, is, a, is the screening of employees mandatory at the workplace? It's, it's mandatory. Um, for big businesses, more than 500 employers, employees, uh, they need to uh, submit the, um, regular, they haven't stated how regular, but regular monitoring uh, risk adjustment strategies and policies as to how they are screening the employees when they enter work to the Department of, of Labor. Um, so as, as the employee enters work every day, uh, an appointed other employee, which you can appoint, it can be any employee, you need to train them on the directors, of course, will have to ask them certain questions. Those questions are examples, do you have symptoms of a sore throat, a cough, redness of eyes, etc. So you need to go through a full questionnaire that the employee would ha- employee will have to create according to the directives, ask that at entry and then during the day as well. Okay, and that's so it's mandated. quite stringent. Okay, and then of course there's some listeners that also have some uh, employment issues. In fact, well, one has asked whether staff can sue an employer for expecting them to work during lockdown uh, and then they become ill during that period. I mean, is there any, any provision like that? Uh, if the employer is forcing them to work during lockdown and they essential services, mm-hmm. um, that, that they may have an issue. If they're not essential services, uh, the, the, the disciplinary action uh, would would not re- really, uh, in my opinion, I think we discussed this before. Yes, yeah, it's not going to go down well at the at the at the CCMA at the end of it. Okay. So, if but, someone does not want to come to work for fear of contracting the virus, mm-hmm. they're not essential services and they don't need to be at work. Because the directives do state if you can work remotely, these new directives, then you need to work remotely. Yeah, but I think that this thing more refers more to somebody having to come to work. But you make a good point that if somebody is not essential services, then technically his employer is breaking the law. And you're not supposed you 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 don't have to comply with, with with that request to come to work if your employer is breaking the law. Is that correct? Exactly. And if your employer is not uh, able to provide these uh, services in terms of safety and health, and you can tell that there's going to be a situation where you might contract a disease, or if you're an elderly person, um, there's definitely a conversation that needs to happen where you ask, look, I can, re- I can work remotely, and we need to come to an agreement for, for level four. Most people on level four have not gone to work. They're still working remotely as the director states if you can work remotely you need to do so okay then of course now we can get to consequences now consequences for of employees not complying with the with the level four regulations what what happens 
same. It will be a criminal prosecution as well, um, because if you don't, if you don't say to your employer at the at the entry when you come to work that you're feeling ill, and it then uh, later materializes that you are in fact ill, that you have not disclosed that, uh, and you have put others at a risk of contracting the virus. Um, that would obviously have consequences, uh, which we already know is a criminal consequence. Mm. And consequences for, for, for I suppose, that, that's the, of course the employees and the employers, is, what's, what's the consequence with them? What they need to do, as I said, they need to screen the employees at the, at, at every day uh, at, at, at when they report for duty and during working hours. Um, if they don't do so, employees need to report them to the Department of Labor. Um, so that will be the only first uh, port of call. If employees don't report that these monitoring situations are not happening, then the employer is obviously going to get away with uh, not monitoring the situation. So employees here need to check, read the directives. It's just been issued it's online um, and if and check whether your employer is actually enforcing social distancing it's not only social distancing it's ventilation as well your employer needs to check the air conditioning um, is properly ventilated whether it's mechanical or whether it's via window um, there are many many uh, directives in that government gazette that need to be followed um, other than masks social distancing mm. um, the sanitizers the other thing is that the employers must also provide all the sanitizers and not expect the employees to buy sanitizers and it needs to contain 70% uh, alcohol content according to the Department of Health. So there's, there's strict guidelines in place here. It's quite detailed. Friday, since we last spoke, you know, we, we mentioned the whole issue of employers uh, that never paid over the UIF and as a result your employees they are not able to claim UIF because they have not been contributing but not through fault of this but through the fault of the employer now I'm sure you've had many inquiries about that over the last two or three weeks yes. um, what can you just go through it again so that you know employer employees who's actually being prejudiced right now will know what to do and employers will also have some idea as to you know where to touch next. So firstly, employers who know they haven't been contributing, they have a chance to remedy that situation now, inform uh, the Department of Labor and the UIF that they haven't been contributing, but they're going to remedy that, back pay the contribution. Um, if they have the funds, that's the first thing they can do to remedy the situation. If they don't want to do that and you get a lot of employers that certainly just don't comply and don't care, as we know, the employee can report them to the Department of Labor and to the, the UIF via email. There's a hotline number on you filing um, uh, and there's also a hotline number on the Department of Labor website. What's a little unfortunate is most of the vulnerable and, and exploited employees don't have access to email or the internet right now and they're not able to actually re report this and therefore not claim UIF. And there is isn't anything that anybody can do about that at this stage. Mm. Fadia, we're going to go for news now. Can I please ask you to just stay online because I need your, your, your expertise for about five more minutes when we come back.
No problem. Okay. I'll be here. Sure, Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Legal Hour with Issan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Last few minutes uh, with uh, Fadia Arnold. Fadia, are you still online? Yes, I am. Fadia, have you got two quick questions uh, before we take the other attorneys? Uh, the one is uh, the listener asked the question. He says, My company forced me to take paid leave when lockdown was announced, but I had to work as per normal function from home during this leave time. What do I do? Well, that's unlawful. If they've taken you, if they've put you on annual leave, annual leave is annual leave. You're not supposed to work during annual leave. Um, so that would be uh, an unfair, an unfair uh, labor, labor practice. practice okay. Yes, excellent. So what they can, what he can do is say, look, I've been working, and I would like to you to uh, take back the annual leave, and so that I can utilize my annual leave at another time and be paid accordingly for the work that I've been doing. Okay, and then the second one is, um, I am an ex-employee for a certain company who resigned on the 16th of March 2020 and had to wait until the end of June for my pension fund to pay out. So I have no income at the moment. Can I apply for UIF? Unfortunately, if you resign from your employment, you can't apply for UIF. That's the, the one uh, box that uh, you unfortunately don't get UIF if you've on your own accord left the company. So he's unfortunately going to have to wait for that pension fund payout. Is there no way that that person can apply for that 350 rand? Because, I mean, he's not working at the moment. He's got no income. So Yes. You can apply for that grant. Uh, um, it's just we can't do it through the normal UIF uh, with his UI19 documentation. So you can go for the new grant that they've set out um, for the purposes of him being unemployed now. Mm. Okay, Fadia, there was a lot more questions, but unfortunately we don't have time for it tonight because we've got so many lawyers on, online. So shukran very much for coming and always agreeing to assist the, the community of Voice of the Cape. So, My yeah. pleasure. So we, we will hear from you soon, inshallah. Okay? Inshallah. Salam. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. We got uh, Lynn Swartz on the line, the fifth lawyer that we're interviewing this evening. So, um, hello, good evening, Lynn. Good evening, Sean. I might as well say salam to you because you know exactly what it means, and uh, you've been in that environment for a while. Um, but thanks, Lynn, for for agreeing to um, to come on here this time of the evening. I know you've got kids at home, and uh, you know it's it, it must be. Uh, a bit disruptive to one's life to come on air this time of the evening. So, Lynn, uh, just, just uh, by way of introduction, you know, the listeners can know who you are actually, but uh, Lynn has probably been one of the, was one of the attorneys that was quite involved with the Hassam case. Um, in fact, she was quite instrumental in getting the judgment uh, that uh, basically 
gave Muslim uh, marriages the thumbs up, you know, nationally. So, uh, Lynn, we want to thank you once again for being instrumental in that case. Thank you, Sean. And of course, uh, yeah, so Lynn, you are a family lawyer um, and you obviously see, you've, you've seen it all. Um, you've been around quite a, quite a long time now. So tell us, during this COVID period, you know, people, and I wanted to ask you specifically about the family violence issues. You know, of course, people are locked, locked down together. You know, this is, the frustration level is high. People are not allowed to indulge in the in, in the bad habits like smoking or drinking, whatever it is. And um, of course, the the graph shows that there's been an increase in family violence. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, Ishan. Um, and you also know that um, exactly as you said now, uh, with the lockdown, pressures mount, uh, frustrations come out, and can't, people are put in a position where they don't know how to deal with it. You know, they're put in domestic violence situations, abusive situations, um, and they don't know where to turn to. Mm-hmm. And um, and now, of course, if somebody now at this point in time suffers from this indignity of having violence perpetrated against them in the household, what do yes. they do? Look, the interim, the domestic violence courts are open. They are running as usual because we all know that South Africa is a violent and dangerous society. And with that comes high incidences of domestic violence and abuse. And because of that, it was held that the domestic violence courts would remain open to assist the community as and when needed. Mm. And then just to, so, so I understand, domestic violence is for people of the same family or ex-boyfriend or ex-husband or something like that. Okay. Yes. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't uh, refer to to, to 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 neighbors who's harassing you or or interfering no, no. with you. No, that doesn't. That would be an harassment um, application of some. So the domestic violence court is for people in a domestic mm. relationship. That doesn't necessarily have to be a husband and wife. It could be anybody having a relationship. You know, you could be sharing a child, but you're not married. You're not living together. Um, mm. Those types of instances. Yeah, but now, now what about, look, there's obviously the, the, the Domestic Violence Act, uh, Family yes. Violence Act. And then yes. there is the Harassment Act. Is the yes. Harassment Act also applicable during this period? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Domestic Violence, um, the Domestic Violence Act and the Harassment Act works jointly together. So the province is the type of act. Um, mm. So if it's not a domestic um, situation, then you move to the Harassment Court. Okay. Now, what is the process? Can you take us through the process? Well, the, the domestic violence, like I'm going to call it an intricate act for the layperson out there. It is a self-help, self-help court issue uh, where the person can go directly to the court and the clerk of the court will assist them to complete the application. Mm-hmm. Um, so that basically it's an eight-page document where they need to basically set out their set of facts, put their case on paper and say why it is that they need assistance from the court or from the law per se and um, in an attempt to, uh, to get this interim court order. Mm. Now, there's two types of orders. There's one where people give you, an, where a magistrate will give you an interim order, and the other type of thing the magistrate will give is a notice to show cause. Can you tell us the difference? Yes. 
Well, the difference is when you obtain an interim court order, it means it's almost as good as having an interim because you can utilize it immediately. The person is prohibited from the Domestic Violence Act, um, which, which you've basically set up in your application. Um, so it is usable immediately. If the person breaches that order, that interim order, you are able to go to the police and say, listen, um, the respondent has breached the order. I have an order in place. Can you please assist me? Mm. Now, with a not- notice of show cause, it's a different set of facts altogether. You don't have an interim order. You basically have a return date, meaning that when you made application, there was a date provided wherein you would come back to court and show and, 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 and argue your matter as to why you need this interim protect- why you need an interim protection. So, so can, is it fair then to say that the magistrate has not been convinced that in the second instance that you have a case and therefore they're giving the other party an opportunity to come defend themselves. Yes, it's exactly that. It is exactly that. Okay. Uh, when you're putting in your filing affidavit, you have to put your case forward and because you have one shot at it, in a sense, you know, to get that interim order. Mm. So would it then be advisable to, to obtain the services of an attorney when making such an application? Yes, I would. Remember, like I said to you now, the, the interdict application is an eight-page document, so there is limited space. Um, so when the clerk is assisting you to complete that document, you, you're basically telling me your life story. Mm. Now, if an attorney can assist you, we are trained to sift through the information and just put the pertinent or essential facts and requirements needed to get the interim order for you. Mm. So, yes, I would say it would be much better for you or for the, for the complainant to get the assistance of an attorney when applying for an interdict. Okay, and then, of course, um, can those people get to court? I mean, let's assume some there's a woman now that's, um, that's being abused at home. Now she has to drive to, to court or she needs to take public transport to court. What if mm-hmm. she is found uh, on the street by a roadblock, by police, by the army, and she does not have a, um, a, a permit a to be out? Yeah. Mm. So, so, so is yes, there any can. consequences to that? Or why does she explain yes. that? Look, for one, she could explain that, yes, she is going to court um, to obtain an, an, an interdict against um, her spouse or a partner, whatever the case may be. And then there are also other circumstances which shine where a person is not able to get to court, you know, for whatever reason, husband is locking them in the house or, or they just can't get to. Mm-hmm. Then the alternative to that would be that any other person can bring an application or to, can make that application for an interdict on that person's behalf. Okay. But provided that... Sorry? No, no, but how is she going to sign the affidavit? She just needs, no, she's not going to sign the affidavit. She's going to, to, to give this part, this, this third party, written consent to bring the application on her behalf. The court accepts that. That, that is made part of the rule. It's in the act. Is, is this in the regulations, the disaster management regulations, or where is it no, in the act? No, it's not. It's in the, hmm? it's in the act itself, uh, the Domestic Violence Act itself. Okay, so it's not specifically mentioned in the in the regulations uh, at this point no. in time. Okay. No. So now that's fine. And then, of course, uh, last question for you, Lynn, is, and I'm sorry, it's, it's, it seems like I'm cross-examining you, which I'm, it's not the intention. Uh, so what type of orders can the court give? I mean, uh, do you want to just go through that uh, uh, quickly? 
Look, the orders varies. It obviously depends on the set of facts which is presented with the magistrate. So it could be something simple like prohibiting a person from swearing or insulting um, or intimidating a third party um, or, or the complainant itself. And then it can go further on to enlisting the help of a third party. And even as far as where the magistrate could order that the wrongdoer is removed from the house, or that he needs to leave the premises where, where the complainant is at. But that, that flies in the face of the whole COVID-19 regulations. Where must this person go to? Well, look, it depends on the fact, Sean, because at the end of the day, we are here to protect um, the vulnerable. And it is usually the vulnerable that is going to the domestic violence court um, for an interpretation order to, to assist. You know, we, they need assistance from the law. Yeah, but now I want to know, let's assume yeah. now you have a vindictive spouse. Uh, yeah. Let's say the female now feels, no, I'm going to get you now. And it, it might be yeah. based on a completely false set of facts. Yeah. Let's say the husband is beating her and all that type of things. And now, without the husband having the opportunity to go defend himself, the magistrate gives an interim order. And now he must move from the premises without having had the opportunity to put his side of the story. Don't you think that will actually result in a even more difficult situation? Look, in a situation like that, he would have the right to bring the matter to court um, within 24 hours of service of his application and basically put his case before the magistrate and an order can be addressed to, you know, uh, was the set of facts uh, presented by the complainant fabricated or, or is she, you know, if it, was, if it indeed was true. Okay, so at least there is a remedy for that situation. But that, okay, now, and I'm coming back again to this thing. The, the government has said that you must stay in the place where you are currently residing. Now, a court grants an order like that, that he must mm-hmm. now leave the residence. He has got absolutely mm-hmm. nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Somehow, the practicality of that situation doesn't make sense. Um, my, my thinking to that would be that the government has also provided self, um, self-isolation um, sectors or, or, or places that a person could go to. Like Strandfontein. Um, if you are not able to self-isolate, self-isolate in the house. Mm-hmm. So my argument would be that there is a place that he could go to if he needs to be put out of his home. Okay. No, no, no. Interesting. But I think, of course, these things will, will arise. Now, the last thing, Lynn, with regard to the divorce rate. Now, yes. of course, we've seen in the media lots of reports about people saying, you know, can't wait for lockdown to, 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 to be over <laughs> yes. so they yes. can start uh, issuing divorce summonses and all yes. that. What is the current situation with regard to issuing of a divorce summons? Can it happen right now or must they wait until this uh, lockdown period is over? As far as I'm aware, Sean, uh, whilst we were under lockdown five, we weren't able to issue out any new application. But now under lockdown, so we are able to proceed um, and issue out those applications. So divorce proceedings have indeed um, start being instituted. Okay. So, Lynn, thanks very much for coming on air. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, there's obviously a lot of questions people have here, but which I'm not going to read out because we're not going to have time. I mean, we've got Nazir Parker that must still come on. We're going to speak about smoking so uh, and cigarettes. So, thank you very much, and um, I'm hoping that you will come on air again soon. Sure. Thank you, Sean, and stay safe. Okay, thanks, Salam.
Salaam. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the Legal Hour. Last segment, uh, we've got Nazir Park on the line. Assalamu alaikum, Nazir. Okay, we don't have Nazir on the line yet. Uh, technician says he just got him on the line now and uh, he's on. Assalamu alaikum, Nazir. Wa alaikum salam, Ikhshan. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Nazir, were you sleeping now when, uh, when they called you the first time? Uh, not at all. I think your technician was just a bit delayed getting hold of me. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. Uh, no calls at that time of the hour. And I'm sorry that yeah, I kept you for, for last as the sixth uh, lawyer fine. this evening. Yeah. Uh, but I did keep you guys updated on the, on the WhatsApp line, what's happening. Yes, so, no, uh, no, no. I've been following the program as well. Interesting program. Okay, shukran Nazir. Nazir, you have been also at the forefront of, you've been one of the, the lawyers that's been in the trenches since the start of lockdown. Every single day you were practically in court. And um, we obviously, you know, would like to hear some of your experiences, you know, that you, that you went through, especially with regard to the issue of smoking. So tonight we want to deal with the, with the, we're going to start off by dealing with the issue of smoking and, uh, you know, people, the outcry against uh, people not being allowed to smoke. Uh, we've mentioned it in some of the, uh, some of the, some of the other lawyers, but you have obviously, you know, um, got some internal knowledge about this. You've dealt with some cases. So what is the current scenario with smoking? Uh, well, Yashan, it, it started off, I think, very confusing for most people when uh, our president had announced uh, that the relaxation onto level four will permit the sale of tobacco products. And then, unfortunately, for many smokers, the, um, the regulations was amended um, to incorporate a continuing ban on tobacco products by our Minister of uh, Governance and Traditional Affairs, Mr. Lamini Zuma. And that decision has um, caused a lot of confusion and a lot of outcry from uh, private individuals as well as the manufacturing uh, companies that deals with the manufacture of tobacco products and the retail of products. So, um, in fact, what has happened is a lot of these big companies, um, I think one of them has been uh, publicized quite, uh, quite largely, um, being British American Tobacco, has uh, addressed the correspondence to the minister and said to her, look, we don't believe the decision to continue the ban under the level four uh, regulations is uh, is legal and we will be challenging your decision in court. As far as I'm aware, Sean, I'm not, I'm not too sure whether that threat has been acted upon. Uh, they're probably still drafting their papers. Mm-hmm. But currently the, the ban on tobacco products still remains in place. And Nazir, this of course is, is a bit um, you know, disconcerting that there's a tobacco ban, but everywhere on social media you have people, you know, uh, selling these strange uh, cigarettes called Chicago, JFK, Caesars, Yes, Richmond, all these uh, 
unknown brands that uh, yes. uh, I mean I've never smoked in my life so I, I mean for me, but of course I, I know lots of people that smoke yeah. I, I mean I was at Treffs <laughs> so um, <laughs> I mean they were they all obviously you know, know they know the brands like Rothmans, Stuyvesant, Camel, Marlboro but none of these brands are around at the moment all these strange brands have suddenly now reared its head on the black market and this concerns me, you know, that there's now a thriving black market and, of course, government, <clears throat> they don't have sufficient resources to crack down on, all the, on, on this black market. Can you comment on that? Well, look, Ishan, that is part and parcel of what I suppose was going to happen in the event mm-hmm. that this continuing ban uh, remains in force. Uh, is the illicit cigarette trade. And it's those brands that you are mentioning now that are, that are taking taking serious, serious flight. Um, a lot of people is now resorting to what they, they now, the only, is the only available brands that can be bought now, um, or call it in the black market. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you also that a lot of the brands, the normal brands, like what you've mentioned now, uh, they are also being sold, but at extremely ridiculous prices. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the people who are now desperate to get their fix, let's put it that way, of their brand particularly, have to cough up and unfortunately there's nothing much that they can do about it but now yeah, they're obviously now breaking the law by buying cigarettes even if it's on the black market they are they are that is still illegal um in fact i know uh, that uh, our minister of finance uh, mr Mboweni, has made a has made a big uh, uh, outcry intergovernmentally to say that he's against this ban because it's making it's having an impact on the fiscus there's a lot of Taxes have not been collected as a result of it, and uh, I think the last reported number I I read was uh, the the government has lost out on 1.5 billion rand in taxes. As a what, result, yeah. What concerns me is that you know what somehow our, uh, our decision makers are not looking at at, at history and taking mm. some lessons from history. If you look at the the the, the era of prohibition in the United States. There was the Volstead Act that was actually uh, put in place where they banned the sale of alcohol. And of course, that gave rise to all these illicit sales of alcohol and of course the rise of the mafia and organized crime. So when you ban something, you know, that was legal, you're obviously opening up a market, you know, for, you know, the, for, of, of illegality. So surely they, they must be looking at these things. Well, Ishan, you know, you funny you mentioned that I've actually, you know, when you speak with colleagues and friends about this, um, a lot of people are comparing the sale of cigarettes now to the sale of drugs, and the sale and acquisition of drugs, because it, it's more of it's coming down to the same thing. Mm. It's like you said, it used to be legal and now it's illegal. And uh, people are naturally reacting to what they think is best for them to get their fix. Yeah. Because nicotine, unfortunately, is a drug. Mm, now, now it's very apparent that it's a drug because people, yeah. you know, <laughs> normally smokers would say, Ach, I can give up tomorrow if I wanted to. But yes, now it's quite apparent yeah. now when they that they can't. The reality, it's not as easy. If you fake the reality and you know you can buy it tomorrow, it's fine. But now it's not available and now people are climbing walls to actually get to a cigarette. Yeah. So, But coming back to what the minister said the other day, you know, she spoke about people licking a, uh, a, a maybe it's the filter that they lick that they're rolling yeah. a, a, and she referred to a zol and the yeah. zol is into my mind was always referred to a tacha it's a, yes. that, that is basically marijuana 
So what she's probably refer, what she probably meant, I don't know. I can't, I can't say what the minister meant by a zoo, and maybe it's, it's 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 in a different province. It means something else. But in Cape Town, a zoo always referred to Dacha. Yes. And uh, what she was probably referring to is swinging a turpin. A turpin is taking a whole lot of uh, cigarette butts, known as topaches. And yeah. taking the tobacco out and swinging a cigarette, yeah. and, uh, and probably that. But, and I'm, but I mean, that's very, very few and far between. That normal cigarette smokers don't do that type of thing. Yes, yeah, the normal guys take out a cigarette from a pack, light it up, and there they go. It's a, it's a plug and play scenario. Yeah. But you know, Ishan, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, one of the other manufacturers, the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association. They've actually acted on the threats and have approached the High Court in Gauteng mm-hmm. to assist with the overturning of the decision of Mr. Minister Lamini Zuma. Uh, and uh, what they've effectively achieved is placing the matter on the urgent role for hearing next week and Tuesday. And I'm going to be following this quite intensely yeah. to see is how the- this will, will potentially impact the, the regulations mm-hmm. as it stands. But part and parcel of their papers is expert opinion. Uh, about whether cigarettes actually has a detrimental impact on uh, uh, one's ability to combat the COVID-19 virus. And from what I've seen, obviously we're only seeing their version, it doesn't appear that there is much uh, to it, that the cigarettes won't impact your immune system to the point where uh, where it will be negatively impacting the combating of the COVID-19. So, uh, and there's many other expert reports attached to it pertaining to the, the cold turkey scenario for stopping smokers from accessing the smokes and uh, the, the psychological impact that it has on an individual. All of those are covered in the paperwork. But now, who's, who's bringing this application? It's this uh, Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association. They are a tobacco manufacturer in South Africa. And uh, I see the president decided as the first respondent and the second respondent is Mr. Lamini Zuma. You see, Nazir, this is a, I think this is problematic and I think this is what I was fearing when British Ameri- American tobacco also threatened legal action if, if government did not come back to them positively at 10 o'clock on Monday. What I was concerned about is that when there's an application brought in court, and let's assume government in any case had the, 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 um, the intention to, to relax the laws pertaining to tobacco. Now they're not going to relax it. Now they obviously want the court to pronounce on it. And that can take a lot longer than, you know, than them actually on their own volition relaxing these laws. Well, I think, Ishan, if one is following the developments on this uh, of late, um, President Ramaphosa has basically come out and said that the decision to continue with the ban was a joint decision taken by um, all the cabinet ministers, including himself as, 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 as chair, and he's fully backing Lamini um, Zuma on this ban. So I, I wasn't sure, I'm, I actually am not sure whether the government would have changed their perspective on the, on the tobacco laws at this point. Um, and it will be interesting to see what the courts are going to pronounce. I know there's been a lot of challenges to the regulations of late from many of the uh, sector of, of, of the public. But this one will be particularly interesting to see, um, just citing various constitutional rights 
and uh, all the other legal issues in this covered quite nicely in this paperwork. So one will one will have to see what the judges will decide in this matter. You know, Nazir, I just want to say, you know, and this is the benefit of the listeners, you know, you've heard all these things people were talking about. Yeah, but the president said initially that we can, that tobacco will be will be allowed. And then, of course, Lamini Zuma came and said afterwards tobacco won't be allowed. So I don't think, and I mean, you can comment on this, but I don't think it was the president backing down on what he said. He may have believed at the time that what he said was actually going to happen at the command center, you know, where where, where all the decision. But ultimately, he is only a member of that particular grouping, and he may have been outvoted when it came to to, to making the decision. So I don't think it was the president backtracking on the decision. It was merely that he followed the, the protocols of that particular command center. What is your comment on it? Well, Ikshan, I fully agree with you, and I'll tell you why. You've got a very valid point. Um, the application that I've read from this uh, this tobacco manufacturer, in that they asked for relief, and specifically they asked for the minutes of these meetings that were convened uh, between these with this uh, command center and the decisions that were taken. So they wanted themselves uh, have a look and see whether they, whether this decision making has come as a result of proper processes and or whether it was just a, a, a impulsive decision making without real the, uh, uh, oversight and proper thinking and uh, attached to that. So a very important point and as you've raised it, they've also raised it in their paperwork so we'll have to wait and see what comes from there. Mm. And is there any other major developments pertaining to, 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 to what's happening out there? I mean, you, have you been to court lately in the, next day, in the last day or two? Well, Ishan, I can tell you that much of my lockdown court experiences have been limited to the uh, contravention of the regulations, in fact, pertaining to the sale of cigarettes. Um, And unfortunately, um, many of the police stations out there are themselves, in my mind, um, not adhering to the regulations that were issued by the Minister of Justice because the regulations stipulate that uh, as soon as an accused comes in, a suspect comes in, they need to charge him and release him immediately to avoid him or anybody else contracting the, the virus. And unfortunately, what the police, in my experience, is that they come in, they arrest, maybe about 2, 3 o'clock, and then uh, they leave that accused or suspect in there overnight until the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, that's that been a very sad experience for me. Um, and in fact, I had one or two fights with some of the police officials, and it doesn't seem to yield any... It doesn't seem like they're very concerned about it at this point in time. But that said... Um, I, I, I'm actually having a couple of matters uh, this week on the, in the High Court, and uh, I'm glad to see that the High Court is actually continuing with the roles that, um, that, that, uh, to avoid the backlog. But now, is it due to the police not understanding the regulations properly, or is it just them, uh, an opportunity for them to grandstand? Um, Ishan, I don't believe that it's because they don't understand it properly because when I confront them with this particular issue, they seem to acknowledge that the regulation says what what I'm explaining to them. It's just they hide, in my mind, behind the protocol and procedures of detectives who have already gone off duty, they're not available, and they'll only be back duty the next day. Uh, but lo and behold, when they come back the next day, they don't process them at 8 o'clock, they leave them there until 11.30, 12 o'clock. Um, and I think that defeats the purpose of the regulations that uh, has been adopted by the Minister of Justice. But is there a current conflict between the standing order 
of the police that you can hold some a suspect for 48 hours before charging them and the current regulation is there is there conflict somewhere there is conflict there is most certainly conflict and a lot of the police officials are hiding behind that conflict mm. um for the sole purpose in my mind that they don't understand it really but uh, once they, they're also not very open to, to trying to for other people to try and convince them of the fact that um, they need to look at it a different view. Uh, but there is most definitely conflict Ishan. Whether or not that's going to be done away with uh, in, in maybe days or weeks to come, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. And um, this, okay, now now let's get to, to what the situation is now. Now, the when the minister, Zuma, not not uh, Jacob Zuma, Lamini Zuma. Yeah. When yeah. she said that 2,000 people objected to the sale of tobacco products during lockdown, uh-huh. is it fair that 2,000 people out of 70,000 that apparently um, commented or sent in comments uh, to take that view into account, um, is, is that a reviewable decision? Do you think? Yes, Sean, I, I think it is. Uh, I'll tell you why. Decision-making is based uh, predominantly on reasonability as well. And, in fact, a very important point you're raising, because in these, in these papers before me that, I'm, that I've read, uh, one of the issues is a petition that was raised by those people who want, to con- who want the legalized sale of tobacco during Level 4. And they've reached something like 484,000 signatures already sure. uh, versus yeah. the 2,000 that Minister Lamini Zuma is basing her decision on. And uh, that is one of the challenges that is being adopted in this paper. So once again, I would like to follow this case to its conclusion because these are very important issues that are raised in here. And uh, I would love to see what the courts are going to do with it. Do you think that because that other grouping brought an application, is that the reason why British American Tobacco never took this thing further? I mean, it's contrary to the threat. Um, I think they'll probably be riding on that uh, on that wagon for and see what happens, and they will probably hope that the decision can be made there and they can go back to business as normal. And I'm sure certain individuals within the within the government would love business to go back to normal to regain some of that. Uh, that uh, that uh, taxes. Mm. And then, uh, look, I'm sure, I'm sure that it is, uh, the economy has taken quite uh, an impact, you know, on, on this tobacco decision. So, um, so what is your, um, let's, uh, if you had to look into a crystal ball in the next few weeks, what do you, what do you think is going to come out of this? I, if I have to make a call on the papers that I've seen, Yashan, without having seen the government side of things, I would say that these papers are, are drafted and crafted in a way that will probably result in the overturn of the decision in my mind. Uh, unless there's very, very good expert medical evidence to prove that uh, the, the sale of, of, of tobacco impacts the, the immune system negatively to the extent that they won't be able to combat the, the virus, then I believe that the, the decision will be overturned. In fact, um, the regulations, if you read it to the strict letter of the law, it doesn't necessarily prohibit the sale of tobacco. It prohibits the sale of, of alcohol. Uh, in fact, I think our premier in the Western Cape picked, picked up on that, and he then made a decision himself to say we can purchase tobacco products as long as we're buying it with essential other goods. And the uh, national government then came out and said they're not allowing that. And uh, I think there, there is also an interesting point to be made there. And then when um, when this um, when, the, the, when this matter gets reviewed now, do you think uh, entities like British Tobacco will, will come in as, as an amicus? 
it's it's possible they're going they they effectively going to be wanting the court to grant a similar relief as this applicant is asking for here. Mm. Um, so they will limit their own legal fees uh, substantially, and I see it's actually a senior counsel that's been appointed on this matter. Um, so uh, we'll we'll they will they will ride they will ride this wave for as long as they can, I believe. Nazir, why is it that the that the liquor lobby has not been as vocal as the cigarette lobby? I think Ishan medically um, there is evidence to to support the, the restriction on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the the the, uh, the the public out there uh, is obviously entertaining the the look. Let's let's face it. The people out there only only catered for a three week lockdown, mm-hmm. and they they purchased their, their needs for the three week period. And now with the with the with the extension, unfortunately, they are looking to the to the black market. For, uh, for 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 getting the the the, the needs um, service, if you want to put it that way. So, Nazir, when is this matter going to be heard? Is it on on Thursday? Is it? Next week and Tuesday. The oh, next Tuesday. Okay. Um, that's in Gauteng. So I will be keeping an eye out on it <laughs> and following the decisions. May I don't know whether we're going to get judgment on the same day. Um, but I would like to see the the, the, the answering affidavit that's been filed by by the by the state. But now, but nothing say. stops government at this point in time on Thursday night, like we normally hear, you know, some message from the minister or the, or the yeah. president to say that they're lifting the ban. And then, what happens to the application? Well, they they are they aren't asking for costs mm-hmm. uh, immediately. They're asking for costs to be reserved for another day um, because that's not an urgent issue. But mm-hmm. I would imagine that the the the, the application would then become um, immaterial. It wouldn't really matter anymore what decision the court comes to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then I think there will probably just be a withdrawal of the application, or it will die down, um, and maybe the parties will settle the matter. Yeah. So in the meanwhile, for those uh, spaza shop owners who's getting um, who's getting. Uh, threatened by the police with arrest and and the goods confiscated even though they're not displaying it or they're not selling it what's advice for them well you found the regulations in its current form prohibits the sale um, and this is one of the arguments i've had with the police officials pertaining to um, stock that's being kept at the shops and uh, the fact that the stock is not displayed it's st- stored away in the stock room to my mind, it doesn't uh, render that particular activity unlawful uh, as long as they are not retailing the product. Okay, that's uh, fine. So, so, that's so, so, the core issue. Okay, so let's assume now you're not retailing, you're not displaying, but now the cops come in, they, they tell you they want to search your premises. Of course, don't they need a warrant to do that? They do need a warrant to do that unless they feel that the, the, the time it's going to be taken to obtain a warrant is going to defeat the purpose of the warrant. Uh, and that's a discretionary thing. Uh, but what has happened in one of my matters, the police came in, searched the premises, didn't find any cigarettes, but they found the uh, uka pipe tobacco. Mm-hmm. And uh, they arrested the, 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 the staff that was at the, at, the, at the business at the time for, for allegedly retailing in, in, in tobacco products, which, of course, well, to my instructions, is incorrect. Okay, but now, yeah, but now this is the problem. Now somebody has been detained unlawfully. They've uh, suffered the indignity of being put into a van. They've suffered the indignity of being put into a cell, and even the danger of being placed in a cell with other criminals uh-huh. and real criminals. Uh-huh. Surely, there's a massive claim against uh, someone. 
Well, what we've done was that the police in this particular instance, this is the second time this store owner was arrested to I and to my instructions unlawfully. So we've written to the station commander, uh, requesting the station commander look into the matter. And um, once client, uh, once we get a response, we'll probably look into a damages claim. Mm. Anyway, I'm hoping that that thing, that damages claim uh, comes to fruition. But Nazir, this is all we have time for tonight. I can't believe this two hours is gone already. We've had now, f- uh, you're the sixth lawyer that I'm interviewing tonight. We've had uh, Faisal Bardin, we had Asghar Mia, we had Randall Titus, Fadia Arnold, Lynn Swartz, and yourself. So I think uh, all in all, I'm very happy with the information that we received tonight on Voice of the Cape. So shukran very much to you. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to hear from you soon again and to give us some updates with, pertaining to this tobacco case. So from Shala. my side, shukran very much uh, to you, Nazir. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum So um, from my side, uh, yes, it's time for me to go home. And uh, I hope the listeners were edified by this uh, encounter on air tonight. I want to say once again shukran to Buta Yusuf for allowing um, the legal hour to be played within his slot and to of course the voice of the management. So from my side I want to say to the listeners out there that please you know be safe um, as uh, keep the social distance um, act in accordance with the regulations don't drive around unnecessarily and uh, yeah we're all gonna get through this uh, we've been at it now for almost uh, six seven weeks and uh, yeah it's probably almost at the end so for my side shukran very much and i say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape.